0: Hi I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 118 of my podcast beekeeping short and sweet. The sprint is on for the final few weeks of the nectar flow for me. Listen in for a hodgepodge of summer ramblings about apiary sites, the summer nectar flow and to kick off a small but significant milestone for me personally. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the Inquisitive Beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I'm grateful to Honeypour Hives for sponsoring in part our podcast for this season. Honeypoor hives, as I'm sure you're aware, are Polly Langstroth hives, and we're setting up an apiary full of their hives this season, courtesy of Honeypour. Check out their range of hives and other equipment on their website. And I'll leave links to all of the websites in the show notes as usual. Honeypore Hives, designed by beekeepers for beekeepers. Another week and another podcast, and as I mentioned in the introduction, this week sees a hodgepodge of beekeeping ramblings as things pop into my head, so I apologise in advance for the rather absent-minded ramblings on various topics this week, mostly beekeeping of course. Uh, To kick off with though, it's a bit of a milestone week for me. I was checking out some videos that we had uploaded recently and noticed that we'd managed to break the 500 videos uploaded mark. Um, 501 to be exact, although that number should have increased by the time we publish the podcast. Now that's all of the videos I've ever uploaded, including some fairly dodgy initial efforts and some might say that they haven't improved a great deal but hey look at this that's me thumbing my nose to all those haters and trolls who get pleasure out of posting negative comments and there's still lots of them out there. Anyway I'm really happy to be celebrating not just the number of videos but also that so many of you have watched them and sent me encouraging comments and emails to keep me going. Apart from a few early videos in 2012. I really got started in 2016, and we've continued to upload videos ever since. Now, I'm not in the same rarefied air as a lot of YouTube channels, but I am very happy to have had nearly 2.2 million views and almost 25,000 subscribers, and that's just on the YouTube channel. But more importantly to me, though, is the support that I have from my small group of Patreon subscribers for whom the vast majority of videos are specifically produced for. Each week through the active season I record a range of videos and of these just one goes public on YouTube. The rest are purely for release on my Patreon page so many thanks to all of you that support me and judging by the comments and feedback I get I know a lot of you have benefited from the content and additional support that I provide. So if you haven't yet signed up to Patreon please do take a look at it. Yeah have a look at the content that we've got and uh, maybe sign up to one of the different tiers that I've got available. The summer season is quickly disappearing, it's hard to believe we're already in the middle of July and for me there are just a couple of weeks of forage left for our colonies. That's mostly blackberries uh, and I noticed at an apiary yesterday that many of the blackberries, particularly the early ones, are not just turning red but some are actually ripe and ready to pick. Now seems like a good time to have a roundup of where we're at really and to think about preparations not just for the honey extraction but also treatments and feeds for the autumn so we'll probably cover off treatments and feeds maybe next week or uh, in the following weeks to come. We currently occupy 10 apiaries although we have three very close together, the fishing lakes you could call that one, giant apiary, and each one has its positives and negatives. I was recently asked about setting up apiaries and what the perfect apiary should have. Now if you go to the books you'll find a list of ideal scenarios, stuff like protection from winds, no frost pockets, early sunshine to help warm up the hive, protection from the midday sun, late evening sunshine to allow later foraging, access by roads at all time. Oh, away from areas prone to flooding. That seems to pop up more and more these days. The list seems to go on and on. It's a wonder that any of us can find any apiary sites to use at all. If I think about my sites, I would say there isn't one that ticks all the boxes. I have some that are prone to flooding. Most get the full heat of the midday sun. A couple are really tricky to get to without the benefit of the four-wheel drive. Another is at the bottom of a slope in a frost pocket so I guess what I'm saying here is if you're offered an apiary site make the best of it that you can and you'll probably find that the bees will manage just fine. Although we have 10 active apiary sites going at the moment we do have another six locations ready for more bees if we choose to use them so I'm very lucky to right now be able to choose the locations that we put our bees at. We also have our spring pollination too so a small amount of migratory beekeeping means again we can't be super fussy about where the bees are located. The best advice I can give is aim for safety and security first and then worry about the other criteria after that. I've established a couple of new apiaries this season, slightly delayed because I didn't move the bees onto those sites until after the oilseed rape pollination and this makes it difficult to assess how the new apiaries have performed so we'll have to wait until next season to see if they're worth keeping. It's nice not to have a situation where a lack of apiaries means we're overcrowding sites. I aim to have around 10 to 12 hives in each apiary as an absolute maximum Less than six makes it a waste of time in travelling to so many apiaries, but more than a dozen, and it's likely that forage may well become restricted. That is unless you find yourself on the edge of a field of oilseed rape or borage, for instance. The new sites are interesting in that they're all completely different. One is in the middle of a working farm, surrounded by fields and hedgerows. The other is on the edge of a broads-managed woodland site, with a little arable farming to one side. The farm site is nicely isolated away from the machinery and people on the farm. It has a track that runs directly up to it and is set nicely back among long grass that affords a little protection from the prevailing winds. I took my lawnmower over and trimmed it back down to an almost lawn-like appearance and I think it will be quite suitable. However, if I think about the perfect checklist, it fails on a couple of options. It's north facing and exposed on the north side by quite a large field so gets quite a blow straight across those fields and although there is a hedge line of sorts the position of the apiary means there isn't much of a hedge to the back on the south side. The hives are only really protected by the tall grasses and weeds that grow around them The woodland site is altogether a better site except it too gets quite windy and the apiary is set to the back of a meadow at the bottom of a slope. The wind blows across the field and down to the hives and in the winter it may well get quite frosty down there. The point is you can't always choose the best spots and you just have to go with the situation that you're given. Thinking about the progress of Our bees have made this year. We've had another mixed bag, no real surprise there, I guess. The summer nectar flow has been a bit hit and miss so far, and I'm not sure the next couple of weeks are going to make much of a difference, to be honest. It might be that the bees will perform as they often do with the oilseed rape crops, slowly at first, then just when you think it's all over, there's a sudden rush of nectar before it all dries up. I can only hope, really. I guess it's that beekeeper's optimism kicking in again. I did carry out quite a lot of splits this year, and we're currently looking at around 100 or so colonies, I think. That will obviously have a knock-on effect on honey production, and you have to make sure you take a good dose of realism when it comes to expectations of either bees or honey crop. It all goes back to my usual mantra of having enough resources to get the job done. If your colony only fills half a brood box and the rest of the frames are foundation, There's absolutely no point in putting a super on them in the hope they'll somehow magic up a box of honey for you. If, on the other hand, you have a hive rammed full of bees, but it's cold, wet, and there are no nectar flows on, all that's going to happen is the bees will eat the stores they have, and if they don't have enough, they'll starve. What we're looking for is the perfect combination of lots of foraging bees, warm, sunny days and flowers dripping with nectar. But enough of my daydreams, let's get back to reality. We split something like half of the colonies we had after the oilseed rape to develop hives and nukes to overwinter. These are developing well, and again, some are doing better than others. You might recall hive number six, the giant colony that gave us a massive crop of honey from the oilseed rape. These are the ones that nearly starved in the June gap. Well, Despite managing to recover them and the hive being full of bees right now, they're only on a couple of supers, and I can't see them producing a massive amount more. Is this because of a lack of forage in the apiary that they now find themselves in, or are they still annoyed at me for nearly killing them? Who knows? I can't really complain about a colony that will have given me around eight supers of honey. The trick is getting them to all perform like that, I guess. We've had our fill of chronic bee paralysis virus again. I found another nuke with it just yesterday, and they will need to be destroyed. On a positive note, we've not had anywhere near the levels of drone-laying queens we had last year. In fact, we're still in single figures for the number of colonies that have fallen down because of poorly mated queens. I'm putting this down to better apiary management and less swarming colonies in the early spring, which was the main contributor last year. I don't think it's down to poorly performing drones, or a lack of drones, as was the case maybe last year. I'm hoping I've not just jinxed the situation, as I collected a swarm from one of our apiaries just a couple of weeks ago. It may even have been early last week, I can't quite remember. Anyway, I checked them yesterday, and there were eggs being laid. This swarm came from a colony that had already swarmed, and during an inspection I noticed a queen cell just opening and a virgin queen emerged and ran down the frame and into the hive. A couple of frames later I found another queen cell that had already successfully opened, so now it appears I have two virgin queens in the same colony. Again, the books might tell you that there's going to be some kind of face-off and one of them is going to come out victorious. Not so. One of them swarmed into the tree and left the other one behind. That's why I only ever leave one queen cell in a colony. Moving on, the Langstroth nukes I created are all doing really well. Each newly introduced queen has a full cycle of brood now, and so we're starting to see the traits each nuke will develop as it builds into a full-size colony going into the winter. These I hope to transfer into full-size hives in August once the sealed brood they currently have emerges. Again, it's all about resources – This season I've also set up our 14x12 apiary using the national 14x12 size frames. These have been new to me this year, having never used them before. Now that I've had them for nearly a full active season, I'd have to say I don't really like them. When you lift the brood frames out of the brood box, they seem to go on forever, and you have to lift them quite high to get them fully out of the brood box without crushing and rolling bees i guess it's just practice but i much prefer the wider frames of the langstroth and to be honest not many of my colonies need the huge brood area that a 14 by 12 brood box offers of all of the brood boxes it's one of the biggest with around 78000 cells capacity compared to the langstroth and commercials that have around 72 and 74000 cells respectively only the modified dadant is bigger and that's a monster Given the choice, I would run just Langstroth and commercials as my preferred hives, and then again, if I were not producing videos and podcasts, I think I would go with just the Langstroths. That said, I do have mostly national supers which fit the commercials, so unless someone were to come and purchase my entire stock of national kit off me, it looks like I'm going to be using both for the foreseeable future. The new unit continues to be a fun project with the wall up. I'm now able to plan out where I want everything to go. We've filmed a couple of videos there and are working out the best way to position everything. I found some really neat rusted corrugated roofing sheets and I want to try to use them as background for the filming. Just something a little different to the plain white wall. I'll have to hang some posters or signs on it but I think it might work quite well. I did use a few stacks of supers, but they're quite deep and use up crucial space in the unit that I'd rather not waste. Thinking about the forthcoming honey extraction, I've bought some more trolley wheels to create movable platforms for stacking the honey supers on when I get them back to the unit. It's so much easier wheeling the full supers around than lifting and walking with them. They're really easy to make, just a 500mm square of 18mm plywood and some heavy duty wheels off the internet. The wheels come with large heavy duty screws so fitting them is easy enough, even I can do that. The next big job at the unit is extraction preparation. Everything needs to be washed down and the floor needs mopping. I do need to get the hanging door screen too, that's a job that's becoming more urgent as each day goes by. I'll have to remember to measure up the exact size next time I'm at the unit and get it ordered. Then I need to clear the way for moving the supers off the truck and into the honey room. Currently I've stacked a pallet of sugar syrup jerry cans in the way so that's another weightlifting job I need to do. Who needs a gym when you've got 14 kilo jerry cans to keep you fit? Although it's not the finished article yet I'm enjoying having the extra space to move around and store equipment. Once the new movable trolleys are sorted, it'll be a doddle to get things in their rightful place. Once that's done, I may even open the door to some socially distanced tea and coffee. Oh, and cake. There always has to be cake. And on that note, it's time for me to get out and check some bees. Please do take a look at the extra content available on my Patreon page. That's www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet.